the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All right, it is indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer on a Friday, eight minutes after the hour at 9 o'clock, and we're all ready to go. It's the 27th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. We've got uh, an important conversation to have in this first hour, which I'll tell you about in one moment. We have a lot of breaking news from yesterday and overnight that we also want to discuss this morning. Um, so I want to get into that, too. But before we welcome our first guests, which are going to be just moments away here, I want to give you something special. Um, and that is our Pledge of Allegiance. And you may say, well, what's special about that, Bob? We do the pledge every day on your show. And you're right, we do. Uh, and I love it, and I appreciate how much it means to you, which is why I appreciated this even more. Uh, a listener by the name of Mark sent me this last night, and I watched it, and I was blown away by it, and I was so very, very happy. I, I didn't have a feeling one way or the other about the band members in KISS, the legendary uh, uh, rock band and uh, Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band. They were in Cleveland last Sunday night, for their, uh, uh, what are they calling it, the end of the road tour, which is their, 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 I don't know, their last farewell tour. They've had a few of them, I understand. I don't follow it that closely, and I don't really follow. I have no idea about the politics of KISS. 
never would have a reason to, don't really care. I have always said I don't like going to rock concerts or music music festivals and then hearing political speeches being made in the same way that I don't go to political speeches and expect to hear people jamming out on the stage with a rock band, right? I always try to keep those kind of things separate. I don't want my politics and my sports either. But having said that, this was so amazing, and it was so cool, and it gave me a whole new respect for the band. I wanted to share it with you. So today... For our Pledge of Allegiance, rather than playing for you the normal pledge that I have recorded, I'm going to share this. It's a minute and a half long. If you can stand for a minute and a half, go ahead and stand now. And then put your hand on your heart when you are instructed to put your hand on your heart, not by me, but by, I believe it's Paul Stanley saying this, one of the members of KISS, this past Sunday night in Cleveland. I think this is a good way to launch our show today. It makes me feel good to see and hear this. Please stand and now listen. I'll talk to you for a second. You know, the world is a crazy place right now. And it's more important than ever to make sure that you support your country. What side of the fence you're on, what you believe, if you tell the truth and you love your country, that's all we can ask because patriotism is always cool. Now Cleveland, might I ask you to put your hand over your heart and sing the Pledge of Allegiance with us. I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. God bless America! I told you it was something special and I gotta tell you that at a time right now where we have so much anti-Americanism coming from our college campuses, particularly because of our support for Israel in this horrific Middle Eastern situation. Uh, there's so much anti-American fervor and hatred out there. That made me feel good. That lifted my spirits a little bit. 20,000 Clevelanders following the lead of Paul Stanley of the rock band Kiss. And when I say they're all Clevelanders, I'm assuming most of them anyway because it was here. But uh, they did a play. They had a massive video board behind them with the flag uh, waving at the same time. And that was just great to hear Paul Stanley say it. Patriotism is cool. And uh, and so were they. So that is awesome. That makes me feel good, and I hope it does you as well. All right. Now, as I introduce our guests, <clears throat> this is going to be kind of a reintroduction because we told you about we were going to do this yesterday, but the breaking news coming out of Maine from the night before, which, by the way, has not really changed today. We are now in the second day of the manhunt after the uh, uh, Wednesday night uh, massacre uh, of, of what we found out to be 18 dead and 13 injured. Uh, but they're still hunting for Robert Card in uh, in Maine, and Lord only knows where he could be right now. 
So that situation hasn't changed much, but um, we, we uh, kind of had that breaking story yesterday, so we asked our guests to postpone our conversation until this morning, and they were kind enough to do so. I have been, and I did a road rant about this on my social media, and you may have seen it, maybe you didn't, but I was asking a question of my Jewish friends and listeners and viewers in all the different places where I do media, uh, and I have a lot of them, and I've, I'm asking them, please tell me how and why as American Jews, you can continue to support in such large numbers a party, the Democrat Party, that is so openly hostile toward you in so many ways and in so many places. And it is active hostility, if not outright anti-Semitism and hatred. And we're seeing this from, for example, 10 Democrats who voted against the resolution to support Israel, and I think another six or eight who voted to... um, I voted present, didn't want to vote against it or for it. That's 18 of them. That's an astounding figure, how we don't have unanimity, no matter what your religious faith is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity is, how we don't have unanimity in support of Israel after they were victimized on October 7th in the way that they were the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust is beyond my understanding. And as the days have gone by and the, the Democrats, otherwise known as the American left, so quickly pivoted from concern and compassion for the victims in Israel to concern and compassion for the possible victims of collateral damage strikes uh, on Gaza. In other words, siding with the Palestinians. And I look at the voting, um, you know, demographics and 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 the you know the the uh, uh, exit polling from from voters, and I find out. Jews in America continue to support Democrat, Democrats overwhelmingly, despite their being oftentimes anti-Semitic, oftentimes anti-Zionist, and oftentimes uh, just uh, you know just just you know uh, hateful of, of of the Jewish ethnicity. So I, I said we got to figure out why, and I asked people to comment on it, and I got a few responses, but not nearly enough. So that's why I went to two of my favorite people. Uh, and they are on the line with me now from their home in Arizona. They are formerly here, uh, northeastern Ohio, Ohioans, I should say, from uh, Beachwood. Michael Goldstein has been on with me twice since the October 7th attack. Uh, Michael Goldstein is a retired Navy officer, you know this, and a 30-year veteran of the U.S. intelligence community. He's also general counsel for Pro- uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, which is a uh, kind of a Christian Jewish um unified support group uh, uh, in favor of and supporting um, the Jewish experience here in the United States and supporting the state of Israel. He is the uh, state chapter executive director in Arizona of PJTN. So Michael is back with us. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Bob. And, of course, uh, Michael's lovely bride uh, is a former two-time candidate for Congress here in Northeast Ohio, uh, very well known as an activist and a leader and one of the sweetest people you will ever meet. And she, of course, is Beverly Goldstein. Uh, so, Beverly, good morning to you as well. Thank you for coming on. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I had to turn on a light. It's still not still here. <laughs> yeah, I know. 617 there in uh, in Arizona with that three-hour difference. So should have done this next week, I suppose. It uh, drops down to two hours, I guess, after that, uh, after we have our time change here, the difference. But... But thank you both. We'll be happy for... to come. We'll we'll be happy to come back after the time change. <laughs> well, the situation, the situation will bear talking about. There's there's no doubt it will be a you know it is a it is a moving uh, uh, situation uh, and um, just yesterday of course the first ground forces 
uh, made their way into Gaza. It is not in any way, shape, or form the massive movement that uh, people have expected as they have brought, called up 360,000 reservists into the IDF to to carry out this campaign. But it was a start yesterday, and you're right, Mike, this is, according to... Uh, uh, individuals on the ground there, they said this is not a week's, this is going to be a months-long campaign. So as that situation continues, we will have no doubt ramifications here um, on on the homeland, in the homeland, because they are already rallying and, and demonstrating and protesting and in some cases committing violence against Jews in support of Palestinians uh, here in the United States. So the more... The more things happen in Gaza, the more we're going to have to deal with that here as well. Which brings us to the issue. So I'm going to start here, and uh, and Mike, ladies first. Uh, I want to let Beverly go first, because I know you guys have a lot of information to present, and I appreciate you doing that when I reached out to you to say, can you be my special guest to try to explain the Jewish experience in America and why the Democrat Party is still so... Um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, admired by or prefer- preferable to um, American Jews, given the description that I just gave, particularly in response, Beverly, to October 7th, the support from the Republican Party across this country has been completely unequivocal. The support from the Democrat Party has absolutely been equivocal. It has been limited. It has been, you know, some strong words of support, followed by, by the way, don't go too hard on them in Gaza. Uh, you don't deserve uh, to, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be delivering collective punishment on them. So it, it's kind of weird. They say it's unequivocal, but then they equivocate. And yet the American Jewish uh, experience seems to be one in, 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 in alignment and in league with the Democrat Party. Beverly, take it away. Hi, Bob. Good morning, and good morning to all your listeners. Uh, You should probably first know that for me and Mike, this is a very challenging subject and a very challenging question because you might be the 5,622nd person who's asked us the same question over the time that we have become very politically conservative, which is probably since 2007, somewhere in there, Um, I sent you a summary of a book that I summarized a couple decades ago, written by called Why Are Jews Liberal? And I guess what I will do is just mention four of his concluding statements, and maybe that will leave leave us with a, a starting point. Uh, one of the things that I had done was to who actually is a Jewish person and and going over some of this stuff with Mike. Mike, the question Bob asked, don't know if that will be of interest, but um, actually there's a lot to it uh, as to who is a Jewish person according to Jewish law. So some of the concluding uh, comments in uh, Norman Podhoris's book are the following. Jewish commitment to liberalism and to the Democrat Party, which I would say really solidified itself during FDR's presidency, is so deep and powerful that it creates willful blindness 
denial and rationalization. That's one of the first summary points. Then he goes on to say the sociological theory is that Jews vote as if they, in this country, have retained a minority group status. They're like they think like a minority group mm-hmm. based on their ongoing fear of anti-Semitism rising forward. Uh, a third point he makes are Jews attend college. I mean, most Jewish kids attend college. That's just a thing. You're born and the, your parents say hi, and then they say, okay, get ready. You'll be going to college soon. That's the first conversation you have after you're born. Attend uh, college and bring with them the liberal views of their home to the already liberal universities, and so this just intensifies over the generations. So it gets more Democrat and more liberal and more bizarre, anti-religious, pro, God-based uh, thinking. And so the educational background of liberal Jews is not Judaism particularly, or the aspects of the Bible and the Jewish teachings that religious Jews would tend to have as they grow up as children. And then the last key point that he makes is that there is no generation gap on liberalism between Jewish college students and their parents. So, for example, we know in our groups in our movement that students go to college and come home and many parents are quite horrified with the quote new knowledge base and the new collective thinking of their kids when they come home for holidays and for summer and so forth whereas Jewish students might come home from those same experiences explain things to their parents, and the response they get was, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what we thought when we came home from college. So maybe this lays a little bit of a foundation of uh, your question. Mm. It's very difficult for us because not only are we Republicans, but we're very politically conservative. You've worked with us for at least since 2015 since I... Yeah. Uh, for Congress. That's a long time. So we know each other very well for eight years now. Yeah, so yeah, you're lot. exactly right. Beverly, let me uh, so, let me jump in here because I want okay. to bring Mike into the conversation. And uh, and by the way, Beverly, a little bit muddy our connection is with you. I don't know if you're standing in the exact same place as Mike. We'll find out in a moment because you guys are on separate lines to join us. Uh, but it was a little muddy, a little staticky. It was it was it was arable for the most part. But if there's any other place in your home, you can move so that we can get a little bit of a clear signal when you come back on. That would be great. Mike, let's see All how right, we're having problem with that. We it started yesterday, so oh, we will uh, yeah. move around and see if that helps. Appreciate that very much. Thank you, Mike. Let me bring you in, and my, I want to talk. My theory is that all the snow. My theory is all the snowbirds have come back this week because the weather is broken, <laughs> and everybody. Everybody's using their Wi-Fi. Yeah, everybody's on the same signal. Yeah, that could be it. Mike, I, okay. I, you know, you can you can start this with your own remarks here if you wish, or follow up on what one of the four points that Beverly just made from uh, from the book that she was just citing. 
And and that was number two, where she said embracing, you know, uh, so many Jews embrace their minority status. And since the perception is that the Democrats are the ones that look out for minorities, then that's who they vote for. Um, but that perception is mythical. It is absolutely fabricated that Democrats look out for minorities. And I would think that educated Jews know this. And yet somehow here we sit and they still embrace, well, hey, we're, we're oppressed peoples. Yeah, and we have been oppressed since you know the beginning of time, beginning of time, and I think that's true. Speaking of Jews, so therefore, who looks out for people who are oppressed? Well, clear, clearly Democrats do, and maybe that's the reputation, but that's not the reality. That's how I see it. Can you tell me your thoughts? Well, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned it in that particular way. Um, I think that um, secular Jews care more about other minorities than uh, Democrats do. It's just that they really sometimes walk the walk, whereas the Democratic Party, as we know, um, doesn't care to solve any of the problems of the minorities. They just want the problems to be political issues for them during election time. But the, the, I think the meme was um, Jews pray like Episcopalians and uh, vote like Puerto Ricans. That was when I was growing up. People would say that. Everybody recognized that the Jews were not voting their own interests. Um, I'm going to go into a little history because Mike, really, Mike, 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 hold on a second, hold on a second. Since you're just about to launch into the history, we we don't have time for the full history now because we have our first break here. So, uh, just for those who yeah. don't know, Mike and uh, Bev are going to be with us for this full hour. So we are going to pick up with them from their home in Arizona. By the way, your signal sounds clear, Mike. So don't move. Stay where you are. Beverly, go stand next to Mike, really, really close. His signal is good. Uh, we'll pick up with this and get to the history portion of this as we try to discuss why. The American Jewish experience. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is at 936 now. We continue with our guests, uh, Michael Goldstein from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations and uh, Beverly Goldstein, former congressional candidate. Both are very politically active. Both are very, very supportive of the state of Israel and the Jewish experience here in the United States. And we're discussing a really important question. How and why do the Democrats of this country enjoy the support of Jews? Beverly started out by quoting uh, a few lines from a book called Why Are Jews Liberals by Norman uh, Potteritz, if I'm saying his name correctly. And Michael Goldstein was uh, about to tell us a little bit of the history of this as to why. And uh, uh, give me as much of that as you wish, Michael, but I also want to bring it current and talk about why today given everything that we are watching in this country, who is supporting whom, why any modern-day American Jews would be still aligned with a party and and an ideology like the Democrats have. Go ahead, Mike. Well, you're right. Uh, It's going to be difficult. There's so many rabbit holes to go down, uh, especially since I disagree with the military action the United States has taken in the Middle East this news cycle. But at any rate, I'll try to stay focused on the issue you've raised. Um, and there was, there was a break between what happened in Europe and then what happened here starting in the early 1900s or maybe a little before that. But, but here's, here's the history that's really important. Um, there was a history of virulent anti-Semitism in Europe, um, first by the church and by the peasants. And everyone, the Jews had no sovereignty. They had no nation. They were like um, unwanted guests wherever they lived. 
and they suffered uh, horribly for it. There were massacres like we saw in, in, uh, on October 7th throughout Europe for a thousand years. Massacres of Jewish villages, rape, pillage by Christians, um, uh, fomented by the church, fomented by um, the peasants, fomented by the, the armies. And it was a horrible place for Jews to live. And this is sort of baked into their memory of anti-Semitism. In the Middle East, North Africa, under Islam, as dhimmis, meaning protected people, protected meaning you live under tremendous Jim Crow laws, sometimes it was better than it was in Europe. And sometimes there were massacres of Jews in Islam also. So this is, this is the background. Um, then later... Um, the, during the Enlightenment, there were things that happened, um, three periods of emancipation of Jews, but nothing comes in unalloyed. Um, the first period was religious emancipation for about 150 years, starting in 1640. Under religious repression, Jews could convert and become Christians, and then they would be accepted. The second period was about 1789 to 1878. Mike, Mike, if I may, just in the interest of the time, we're going to end the hour before we get to modern day. And and this history is important, but it's not important enough for us to take our valuable time here where I want to hear from you and Beverly and, and your friends, Jewish people in this country right now, um, who don't necessarily understand who and why they are supporting what they do. If you could try to bring us current, it might help. Sure. Okay. Well, what happened when Jews started coming here, they lived... They had lived under such terrible circumstances that they had gone to the only people who promised them falsely that it would be better, the Marxists. They came here already imbued with socialism and some of them with communism. Uh, the union movements in New York um, brought them to that. They, they're still voting for Theodore, for, excuse me, I wish it were Theodore. They're still voting for Franklin Roosevelt today. Um, Throughout the 1950s and 60s, there was um, a lot of anti-Semitism on the right in this country. Um, Pat Buchanan was one of the people who espoused it. Jews became very leery of the right because of some of the things members of the right were saying. Even though um, people on the right, the majority of people on the right, were conservatives were beginning to... Uh, change their attitude. Now, Bev and I, when we wake up every day and we say, who's on our who's on our side today, right? And we know that today it's the evangelical Christians who love Jews and love Israel. Um, but the Jews are still voting because they think they can heal the world, help all the other minorities, and they're just, it's almost imbued in their genes. And um, in the book, uh, Norman Fedoritz says something like, you can no more convince them uh, of the wrong-headedness of their ways than you could convince, well, you with facts and logic, than you can convince an evangelical Christian that Jesus was not divine. It's, a, it's an article of faith. Progressivism has become their religion here. Okay, and, well, and, well see, um, I guess that's the willful, point. That, willful, that, blindness, willful blindness. Willful blindness. I was going to say, I mean, you know, do, are, they, are they unaware of the news cycle? Are they unaware of who is, is, is supporting them with, with sincerity and unequivocally as opposed to those who are giving lip service while quickly pivoting to defend those who support Hamas, which, of course, it's in their charter 
to wipe out the state of Israel and kill all Jews. Beverly, you can feel free That's to right. jump here too, Beverly, because um, you know, again, I'm just you know, Jews are intelligent people. In fact, many of them, as Beverly you pointed out, you know, talking about the college experiences, you know, they're intelligent in terms of uh, in terms of getting degrees, what indoctrination they receive while they're there. And as you pointed out, bringing some of that home to the parents and the parents saying, yeah, I get that too. You know, they're intelligent people, but yet they're, 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 they're thinking, uh, is not reflected. Their current thinking is not reflecting the modern experience, are they? Well, Dennis Prager put it very succinctly once when I was listening. <clears throat> he said there's a difference between being educated and being wise. So, yep, that's pretty much hits it on the head. I I wrote down some notes on... Okay, we're losing Beverly's signal there. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Beverly. Maybe it's a phone thing. Maybe Mike got the update and you didn't uh, on his phone. So, uh, wh- why don't you go ahead and take Michael's phone so that we can hear you more clearly? He he came through loud and clear. All right, she's coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I I really don't know why we we're experiencing this problem. It started today. Am I getting any better? Uh, not not especially. Not especially. Yeah, just take Mike's phone. Let's just let's just hand the phone back and forth because your phone isn't as good for whatever reason. The signal isn't as clear. Okay, just a second. All right, I'm in Mike's room, the same room he's in. Does that make a difference? No, just take Mike's phone, Beth. Please, just take Mike's phone. Mike's phone is clear. Yours is not. Whether you. Okay, um, I, I want to apologize here. I, I feel like the entire message that we're trying to discuss and get along here has just been completely lost by the technical problems here. So um, it's, just, it's, it's a very rough thing here. It's 948. We only have a few minutes left now with Beverly and Mike, and I feel like we haven't covered a whole lot of ground because of all of this. So we're going to try it one more time, and if it doesn't work, then it just uh, isn't meant to be today. Uh, but Michael and uh, Beverly Goldstein are my friends in, uh, in Arizona. They are working very, very hard to um, uh, you know, support the state of Israel and to understand and help support the Jewish experience here in the United States as well. So that's what we're talking about is why, ideologically speaking, so many Jews in America continue to be supportive of a Democrat party, which, as Mike was saying, historically might have been appealing to them, but in modern day, it doesn't seem to reflect that at all. Why aren't their attitudes changing along with the actual changes in the country and the world? Beverly, that's kind of, I think, where... I left off when trying to get um, your explanation for that. Let's see if we can pick it up from there. How am I doing now? Fine. You here? Okay, good. So I had a few other notes, Bob, that I jotted down last night. One of them is that the primary goal of liberal Jews, and I think liberal everybody, is to be able to maintain their lifestyle. Also, you mentioned the word news. And that is an interesting comment because uh, for those people that we're close with that listen to news and the cake of the different news broadcasters, they're not listening to what we're listening to. They're not watching what we're watching. So that they've narrowed the lens 
of the information coming into them that helps them to justify these positions that aren't actually related to reality because they aren't actually basing them on being informed of the reality. So they know that the incursion started on October 7th and they know specific things about it, but they're being fed so much inaccurate and biased viewpoint information and they're using that to come to their conclusions so they feel very comfortable with those conclusions because all their friends come to those conclusions the media sources come to those conclusions so it 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 fits and one another article that i was looking at uh to prepare for today was sociological studies completely confirm the question you bring up mm-hmm. and that is it is exactly what you say and it's probably not going to change um, Jews are in a very bad anti-Semitic circumstance right now in the United States based on college campuses right. and the left wing media but I don't think Jews feel that their lives are particularly threatened. I think the most threatened group are kids at universities because there's crazy chaos going on in a lot of states and a lot of campuses. But for everyday people, they don't feel particularly um, threatened. And um, well, let, let me let me let me let me let me, let me let me let me go off of that uh, for a follow up, Beverly. Um, it's one thing for their lives to be threatened or their safety to be threatened. It's another thing to feel supported, to feel welcome, to feel part of the community, to not suffer anti-Semitic, uh, um, you know, rhetoric toward them. Also, do American Jews? Uh, relate to the state of Israel unless they are there or unless they have they they travel there regularly or have family there do they understand that the anti anti-semitism that they're experiencing here might not threaten their safety but uh the you know the the, the holy land is literally under threat every single day from groups like Hamas as we found out do they understand that and do they understand who is opposing and fighting against those threats there was a very large segment of very liberal Jews that don't have Israel in their heart or on their radar, I would say that. Um, Israel's okay. Sometimes Israel does things they don't approve of, so Israel's inconvenient. They're also getting reinforced by the company they keep, so they they don't see it through the lens that you are asking us the question. Um, well, well, let, let me let me let me uh, let me let me point to a specific example. And Michael, feel free to jump in here too if you guys want to pass the phone back. Um, yeah, I've got Tulane. Tulane. Okay, Michael. Thank you. Tulane University. Just yesterday, at least three Jewish students, pro-Israel Jewish students at Tulane University in Louisiana, were assaulted uh, by pro-Palestinian protesters. Um, Every uh, I'm looking at uh, the number of the news articles uh, about this. Everyone was screaming. It was very scary. They were being beaten with Palestinian flags and poles and a number of other things. Um, and and I bring this up only because of what Beverly was just saying. So many Jews in America, you know, they think about anti- anti-Semitism, but they don't really feel like they are personally threatened. Well, they're being personally threatened now, 
And and guess who supports that pro-Palestinian demonstration that, that led to the assault and the beating of these Jews? It's the Democrat Party. It's the Democrat left-wing college uh, administrators and 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 uh, and others and faculty members and stuff who who cheer these things on and that to me is I'm baffled how and I think Bev was spot on by the way as she talked about the media and too many Jews not watching real media but watching mainstream media that completely glosses over these kinds of things but when you do see it I would imagine if I I would imagine if I was a Jewish American I would be like completely aghast at a party that didn't condemn all of this. Of course. Two, two points. Mm-hmm. I'm working with the Arizona House of Representatives to set up an educational seminar for legislators on anti-Semitism in the universities and K-12 education. Good. That's the first thing. We're trying to do that. Second thing is your friend, Rashida Talib is coming here to raise money for care. Um, I saw and, that. Uh, we, were, we were at a meeting yesterday where Bev handed out um, something from Stephen Emerson, the um, investigative project on terrorism. Um, Stephen's a wonderful person. If you haven't on, had him on the show ever, you ought to. But anyway, uh, it shows the connection, straight connection between the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas, its military wing, and um, the Muslim Brotherhood in America and setting up students for justice in Palestine. The money that they're raising for care is going to go to Hamas. Um, so Bev is on that issue, and she's working very hard on that now. So, but yes, the people... And there is a, a divide between the Jewish right and the Jewish left. Uh, the Jewish right is trying to call on our leaders, our traditional leaders like the Anti-Defamation League, um, people like that, who are not defending the Jewish people. And they're siding with Black Lives Matter. And they're siding with people who are trying to destroy our education. And the Jewish right, and I refer you specifically to the Zionist Organization of America and Mort Klein, who would be a wonderful guest for you, is probably the oldest Jewish defense organization in this country dating back to the 1800s. And they are completely with us on our side. And they're always constantly calling the legacy uh, Jewish defense organizations to please do something to defend Jews and not to ally yourself with the Jews' enemies, which is what they're doing. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's you it's, can't, it's you can't talk to you can't talk to these people. They won't listen to you, um, and um, we've almost given up trying to bring them around. I was uh, talking about this a little earlier, and I'm glad you brought up what you did about Rashida Tlaib. I call her Sharia Tlaib because that's what she supports and, and hopes for. I'm going to read you a very short list, or a quick list, rather. I'm going to read it quickly. Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush, Andre Carson, Al Green, Summer Lee, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Delia, or Delia uh, Ramirez, Rashida Tlaib. They are all individuals who voted against the con- uh, congressional re- resolution in support of Israel. Then, Greg Cesar, Joaquin Castro, Chi Gar- uh, Garcia, Pramila Jayapal, Ayanna Presley, and Nadia, Nadia Velasquez. They are all individuals who refused to vote for it, but didn't vote against it, just voted present. So what that means is, we're talking, I think it's around 18 members who would not support Israel by way of resolution. It did not lead to any expenditures or anything binding other than a show, a symbolic show of support from the American Congress. Every single one of them are Democrats. Every single one of them. So if I'm an American Jew, even if I'm not, even if I'm watching CNN, like Beverly said, watching the wrong news channels and coverage and so forth, you can read and you can see that list and know that it is Democrats who are opposed to Israel. It is Democrats who are opposed to to Jews. 
Willful blindness. We already covered that very thoroughly. If you really don't want to live in reality and you want to create a circumspect concept in your mind that your behavior will exempt you from terror or from the realities of the conditions today, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And they don't listen to people like you. And they don't listen to people like Dennis Prager. They don't listen to people like me and Michael. So we, we, yeah. we take our action. We take our action. We came here and we thought the political climate was in bad shape. And all it's done is get worse. So all we've done is work harder. And we're I know you do. I know you both do. We're focusing on, on these things. We identify the root of things, and we try to come up with really good solutions and work on them. And that's that's well, I love the best we can offer. I love what Michael said a moment ago about uh, a symposium or forum or some sort of an educational summit for the congressional uh, leaders there, legislators in Arizona, to talk about anti-Semitism, talk about uh, Israel, and talk about the realities of the situation. That education is a big part. Hopefully some of them will come with an open mind and actually learn about this. And moreover, Michael, through PJTN, um, you know, I know you're the executive director of the Arizona State chapter, but there are chapters across the country. I hope they all do similar things. Because if they're not going to listen to me, they're not going to turn on Dennis Prager, they're not going to listen to you guys, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a, a forum or a symposium of something of that, some, something of that nature will at least get the message out there to look here. I'm going to read you a list of names like I just did. What do you, what do they all have in common? Let's talk about what we need to work on as far as supporting Israel and what party is our ally in that, in that effort. Uh, Michael, last thought. If we could get, if we could get them to sit down and listen to us and they're, some ways of doing that. I'm talking about the general Jewish public. But but just to crystallize uh, what your question was when we started, when Bev was running for Congress, in our neighborhood, Jewish neighborhood, um, very liberal, she got 2% of the Jewish vote. In the black neighborhoods in the inner city, she got 28% of the black vote. Wow. Um, because, wow. because she came <sighs> to them, speaking of conservative solutions to their problems, problems the democrats will never solve for them because that's like an, that's an astounding fact and we and i do remember hearing beverly talk about that during that time we are out of time here we've reached the top of the hour thank you both for everything that you do and thanks for coming on we will of course stay in touch and continue these conversations you and i have a rendezvous with destiny we'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness darkness This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, into hour number two on this Friday, and now we will commence with the free-for-all Friday portion of the program uh, and ready to take your calls on anything and everything going on in this incredibly hectic and crazy news cycle right now it is a very very strange time and it's a very very dangerous time quite honestly in the united states of america and yes around the world to the extent that we are involved in it israel has gone into into uh, gaza with ground forces but it's a very limited incursion thus far hopefully it's the starter set and they're going to go on to the full-sized uh invasion shortly and finish hamas forever 
And I don't want to hear one ceasefire cry from one pro-Hamas Palestinian tell, or, or white guilt liberal, uh, caring liberal, telling us that uh, free Palestine should be the goal and to wipe out Israel. U.S. has delivered airstrikes on Iranian targets, Iranian Revolutionary Guard targets in Syria and uh, in uh, response to some attacks on American bases. Um, Joe Biden is continuing to double down in his complicity with all of this. First of all, he funds Hamas by way of giving $6 billion new dollars to Iran, which, of course, finances Hamas and Hezbollah. And now, here on the homeland, he is refusing to secure the homeland by way of expelling terrorist sympathizers. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what Tom Cotton was talking about a week ago. I'm talking about what J.D. Vance told me on this program. I'm talking about what Jim Jordan told me on this program. What did he tell me? What did they all tell me? They told me we should be evicting pro-Hamas terrorist supporters from the United States who are here on visas. Yet, sadly and predictably, here's the Breitbart headline. Biden White House will not revoke visas of pro-Hamas foreign students. These are, by definition, terrorist sympathizers. Rashida Tlaib, by definition, is a terrorist sympathizer. And Biden's White House says they can stay. Somebody tell me how long and how... How how big the leap is from terrorist sympathizer to terrorist? Anybody have an idea? How long before terrorist sympathizer, we support Hamas and free Palestine, death to Israel, chanting, now we have the First Amendment in the United States, I'm not, not suggesting we should revoke it, not at all. But if they are expressing through their First Amendment rights, terrorist sympathizing uh, uh, messaging, in support of a terrorist group that just butchered men, women, and children and took them hostage in Israel, how long before they become, well, people who should be on a terrorist watch list? If you're a terrorist sympathizer, how big is the leap to terrorist before you act? Do you have to wait? Do you have to wait for them to form a cell and then strike? Or do we get rid of them now when we know who they are and what they are? Foreign terrorists are already on a watch list. There are foreign terrorists on watch lists who are not allowed to enter the United States. If they do get apprehended at the border, which very few do, they are um, uh, rejected. They are repelled from entering the United States. Well, what if they're already here? Then you have to do what? Then you have to expel them. Biden won't do it. A reporter asked about the uptick um, among uh, um, foreign nationals demonstrating in favor of Palestine, Palestinians, and Hamas, and whether or not they would have their visas revoked or re- removed. And White House Security Spokesperson uh, John Kirby said, uh, you don't have to agree with every sentiment that is expressed in a free country like this uh, or stand by the idea of the First Amendment and the idea of peaceful, peace, peaceful protest, and I'll leave it at that. So what that means is, no, we are not going to revoke the visas. Oh, by the way, 
we could learn something, a thing or two, maybe from, I don't know, um, France of all countries. Because earlier this month, we found out that French Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin announced that all pro-Palestinian protesters in uh, France would indeed be removed. They cracked down on pro-terrorist organizations. According to BBC, the decision was made as European governments fear a rise in anti-Semitism triggered by the Israeli-Hamas war. France reportedly has a Jewish population of some 500,000. In a statement, they stressed that foreign nationals who break the policy and support Hamas openly through protest in France will be systematically deported. How come the French can get it and Joe Biden can't understand it? Somebody explain that to me. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Jim in West Park. Hey, Jim, go ahead. 9-11, Dennis Montgomery developed this software called Hammer and Scorecard to go after these radical people in our country that you had just mentioned uh, that they want to remove. So he became a whistleblower when they started using this Hammer Scorecard software to uh to go after their adversaries the people who aren't in their party so uh joe biden was quoted october of 2020 during a campaign event he said we're in a situation where we have put together and you guys did it for president obama's administration before this we have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Now, the book that I wanted to uh, share with the uh, viewers, it's called The Invisible Treason in America. It just came out. I finished it just uh, sometime a day or two ago. Mm-hmm. It's by Thomas McInerney and another guy, retired Army. It's called Invisible Treason in America. It's a must-read. It's cheap. It's only like 15 bucks, But it really explains to, uh, to what we're up against right now. So I appreciate you taking my call, Bob. You got it, and I appreciate the heads up. I always like good suggestions on important reading, so thank you for that. And I think you make great points all the way around. Thank you, Jim. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. It is an open line, meaning free for all Friday. Let's hear from you. Rachel, next in Cleveland. Rachel, welcome to to uh, Always Right Radio. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Um, in regards to your first guest, um, I grew up as a secular Jew. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and my great-grandparents came over right before communism hit um, in Russia. And we grew up that the Democrats were our friends, and they helped us, and that's why we support them. But the Democrats of yesteryear are not the Democrats of today. And, and even back then, they made empty promises. We know that. And they were the group that started the Ku Klux Klan. So in college, I guess I had the opposite <laughs> of what most people have. I didn't have an indoctrination. I actually became um, more religious in my you know, observance of Torah. And in that, Somehow I came to see the light in my politics also, and I changed my views to 180. I was like a hardcore Democrat, and then I became more and more Republican, and then started listening to your show with influence of my husband, and it became even more and more. Um, 
and it's it, it's really scary. I family members are are you know saying I'm brainwashed. This is crazy. Um, my father is the only centrist I know. Like he's actually he refuses to call himself a Republican, but his views are not of the Democrat Party for sure, not of today. Um, but it's really it's really frightening that they will not open our eyes. Our family members that are they're just it's socially not acceptable to be a Republican, and it's scary. And people have actually ended relationships, um, romantic and family relationships, over politics, which is sad. But they. They're not seeing the light. However, recently, and what's going on in Israel, there are some family members who are very pro-gun control who are considering getting guns now. Wow. Jews and Americans are very scared. Well, they should be. They should absolutely be very scared, and for for a a lot of the reasons we've discussed, and... You are a unicorn, by the way, in so far as that you went and you had the opposite of being indoctrinated. You actually got more and more, you know, as you read the Torah and as you, uh, as you explored more about, you know, about Judaism and about the Bible, um, you know, you became more conservative minded. So you're, you're unique. And I'm glad if listening to this show has helped you clarify some things and understand some things. I'm very proud of that. But what I'm, what I'm really disturbed by, Rachel, from what you're saying is, is it's, it, it sounds very similar to me, and it sounds like what goes on far too often in the black community, which also continues to support the Democrat Party almost with unanimity. Um, and, and if somebody uh, starts to espouse in the black community or in many black families, because you talked about relationships and families breaking up as well over this um, in many black families and in black communities, if you express conservative viewpoints, it is, as you said, to put it mildly, socially unacceptable. You lose your friends. You lose your relationships. You know, why are you acting white if you act conservative? This has been a problem, obviously, for a very, very long time because many modern, uh, you know, and younger generation of American, uh, African Americans, um, don't understand that the party of the KKK was the Democrats. The party that opposed civil rights was the, was the Democrats. The party that, that supported segregation and supported, you know, Jim Crow laws were, were, were Democrats. And it was Republicans who fought for all of those things to go away and to bring equality here. But in the black community, it is still considered sacrilege. You're an Uncle Tom. You're, uh, you know, all kinds of other slurs that they use. And now what you're telling me, is that that's the same way in the in in much of the Jewish community that that it's a social it's a social ostracization that awaits those who actually open their eyes and say things are not what they used to be that party the democrat party we have supported for so long is not the same party they don't have our six they don't have our best interests in mind they don't and, and nobody's allowed to say it out loud in the secular Jewish community that's 100% um, I know you have a lot of friends in the Orthodox Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Here in the Orthodox Jewish community, I would say 95% would be Repu- are Republican, and we, we vote to the right, and, and, and we don't hide it. Um, and my grandfather, who's a hol- who, who no longer with us, the Holocaust survivor, there's no way he would not support um, he, w- he would not support the Democratic Party as it is today. And my, my other grandfather, who um, was a child of people who survived pogroms of Russia, also was a staunch Democrat. But he would n- I, my father and I were having a conversation. He would not support the Democrat Party as it is today. He would be a Republican. He'd probably be uh, a never-Trumper, but he would not support the Democrat Party. It isn't what it is today. And um, hopefully the unity that is going on within the Jewish people that um, unfortunately has been brought about by this horrific, horrific 
um, attack that's going on in Israel hopefully will open lines of communication and and help. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either, because my, my last question for you, and Rachel, this has been one of the best calls I've taken in a long time, and I really appreciate you explaining your own kind of, you know, conversion from Democrat to, to conservative-minded or Republican. Um, my last question was going to be, what's it going to take to bring the secular Jewish communities around? And Because um, they're, if they're secular by, by, you know, by choice, um, they're not going to want to read the Torah. They're not going to want to be, uh, you know, uh, convinced or converted by, you know, the, those who are faithful Orthodox Jews. So what, what is it, is it? You know, and maybe you don't have the answer, as you said, on how we can bring them around and make them understand. You don't even have to be extraordinarily pious as a Jew from the religious aspect to recognize there are some people who are harming you and your families uh, and the state of Israel and some uh, who are trying to defend you. So I would say that, first of all, we need to make politics not a religion. Politics is important to me, but my faith in God and my family come first. Mm-hmm. Um, politics is important. It plays an influence in my life. That's not my religion, just like Corona was not my religion. So that's, that's number one. Number two is we need to have open lines of communication. That's the the biggest thing, I I think, is that people don't want to hear other people's points of view. And that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And we don't have to agree with other people. But when we do it in a way, and I thank God, I I do have some family members that are willing to have these tough conversations. And we have it in a very, um, not politically correct, that's the wrong word to say, but um, in a cordial way that we listen to each other's views and they see that we're not actually crazy, hateful, spiteful people. Um, but open lines of communication and just, just love. I'm saying this is, it sounds so, I was raised by hippies. So you're going to like love, love is the language of everyone. And to just reach out to each other. And, um, my spiritual leader, the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to say that love is a universal language and it, it unites people. So we first need to, See what we first, what do we agree on? And unfortunately, in this day and age, there's not much. Um, but what do we agree on? And once we establish a common ground, then we can discuss the more difficult topics, which are very difficult, and it's getting more difficult as the years go on. But to be open and honest, caring, loving, and not judgmental um, with each other. And that's hard because on the other side, the, I am feeling judgmental, and why are you like this, and how dare you, and you're brainwashed. And it's it's sad. It, it is very sad, and that's a very, very great, thorough answer. And I love your point, by the way. Uh, figure out what we agree on first, then we can start talking about the things that we don't and find a way to, to, to find some common ground there. Rachel, again, thank you for calling. Very, very good. I hope you, uh, I hope you call back and, uh, and continue to add some, uh, some great insights to this very important conversation. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Bob, for your continued support of the Jewish community. It means so much in our darkest hours right now to have your support. Well, thank you. God bless. All right, that's a great phone call. Um, Navy man Norm always make, makes great phone calls from Strongsville as well. Norm, good morning, my friend. You're on the air. Well, I'd like to congratulate the uh, grifter in chief in the White House for hitting a home run. Uh, the home run being, first, he was a pathological liar. Second, <laughs> he was a thief. Third, he was a traitor. And now, fourth, he's a coward. Our troops in Afghanistan are getting bombarded by proxies for Iran, and he isn't doing jack squat about it. And, Bob, I'll tell you, I I don't know who in the right line would want to be in our military with this people excuse 
for a commander-in-chief and his bootlicking Admiral Kirby. You know, I was in the Navy. I love the Navy. But every time I see this this full admiral up there spewing his lies, I want to I want to vomit. But it just blows my mind that the American public are being subjected for another 14 months. I wish, I hope to God it's not, but to this idiot, treason and cowardice. And Bob, it, it just, it, it's too much. It's, you know, we got to stand up and we got to do something about it. Yeah, no, you're 100% right, and I can only, and thank you, my friend. God bless you, and thank you for your service, obviously, as always, Norm. Uh, I can imagine, to a veteran, a proud veteran like yourself, that it makes you sick to see this kind of thing befall our military, um, and uh, and that's very well said. By the way, quick follow-up on Rachel's call. She mentioned that her, uh, I think she said it was her father or, or grandfather today would probably be um, a Republican, but maybe a never-Trumper. Uh, it just made me think about the um, the presidential race. There is a candidate, by the way, for president that has done something that I just described that Joe Biden would not do, and that is to stand up to the pro-Hamas terrorist sympathizers in his state. This particular candidate directed all of the state universities in his state to deactivate student chapters um, that express support of Hamas. National Students for Justice in Palestine chapters nationwide have authored pro-Hamas letters following the terrorist group's brutal attack on Israel on October 7th. Um, these chapters exist under the he- uh, headship of the National Students for Justice in Palestine who distributed a toolkit identifying themselves as part of Operation Al- Al-Aqsa Flood, based on reports, support of terrorism, and consultation with national organizations um, shall be dismantled in this particular state. And I think you know where I'm going with this, right? You know what state this is, and you know what governor did this. This is Florida. The Ron DeSantis administration has instructed all state universities to suspend pro-Hamas student groups. They cannot exist on college campuses in Florida. They cannot exist. They cannot operate. They cannot uh, uh, um, collaborate. They are done. They are done. That is leadership. And I know you know how I feel about uh, Ron DeSantis. I think he is absolutely has the record and the temperament and his actions have been spot on since this whole thing began. He continues to send plane loads of supplies and aid not to Gaza, which Biden is sending, but to Israel from Florida using funds in the Florida Governor's Emergency uh, Management Fund. He's got the money to use. He's sending aid to Israel on the regular. He sent jets to pick up and rescue people from Israel when Biden was, was twiddling his thumbs on a Rehoboth beach. You understand that? And now he is instructing Florida universities to defend and protect Jews and the state of those who support the state of Israel by suspending pro-Hamas student groups. That's leadership. I love it. I'm happy to report on it. I know he's very, very likely not going to be the Republican nominee because of the stranglehold President Trump has on the Republican Party. But I'll tell you what, I would rally behind this guy every single day. And so should everybody. 
informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we continue now on this free-for-all Friday. It's 1036 uh, on the 27th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. We are just days away um, from, uh, I don't know, one of the most consequential, I'll call it, votes that we have taken in the state of Ohio in my lifetime. We're talking about not just pro-life versus pro-death. We're not just talking about the abortion issue. We're talking about so much more because of the intentionally vague language written into this constitutional amendment that they would like to uh, pass on November 7th. We're talking about an end to parents' rights and having a say over what their kids do. There's a reason why parents have the right to tell their kids what to do and how they can do it. It's because kids don't know any better. It's the reason why we don't let kids do lots of things until they become adults, such as get tattoos, sign contracts, get married, buy a gun, smoke a cigarette. You know, kids don't make good decisions. That's where parents come in. And if issue one passes, parents get no say in what decisions are made by those kids. When it comes to life-altering uh, decisions involving their bodies, whether they're pregnant and are going to have babies or whether they are being confused intentionally by child care workers, teachers, faculty members, online influencers, social media stars into wanting to literally change their bodies forever. Parents excluded from those decisions. That's how serious issue one is. I hope people understand why we have been screaming for you to get out there and vote early and vote no. Put the no back in November on issues one and two. And um, we're going to keep screaming all the way through the end of the voting period on November 7th. Joining us now to help that scream is Janet uh, 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 Folger-Porter, who is um, one of the architects of the of the heartbeat bill that we have been working for and working on, well, let me rephrase. It was it became a heartbeat law. It's just that it's been enjoined. It's uh, there's an injunction that would stop it from taking effect here in the state of Ohio. Um, but uh, Janet uh, is one of the leaders in uh, the heartbeat bill and in opposing issue one. She joins us now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Janet. It's good to have you back on the program. Uh, how are you this morning? Thanks. I I so appreciate it, and I appreciate you. Uh, uh, crediting me with the heartbeat bill, but I also was involved in passing the woman's right to know bill with the 24-hour waiting period, the fetal homicide, parental consent, and the nation's first partial birth abortion bill. And the reason I mention that is because issue one would wipe out all of them. Every single law on the books in the last 50 years would be gone. So if you think about that, Bob, that means every phone call you've made, every vote you've cast, every door you knocked on in the last 50 years to try and protect life would be wiped out with issue one in one fell swoop, which is why we've got to come out and uh, say no to the nightmare. Like you said, put the no back in November. However you want to say it, we've got to stop this. The only thing that's not in issue one, I think, it includes so many so many things, including gender mutilation of children, uh, including, yes, including even pedophilia and child trafficking. Because of the language and the way they deliberately worded this thing, the only thing that's not in this amendment is, uh, I think, that the forced abortion policy of China. I think that's the only thing they didn't put in there Yet. Yeah, well, don't give them any ideas uh, because they have yeah, gone as yeah. ra- they have gone as radical as I think they could think of. That might be something they hadn't considered. No, in all seriousness, Janet, this is um, 
you know, th- this is Ohio. We are generally a red state. Uh, we have a very, very overwhelming supermajority of Republican and therefore conservative to an extent uh, legislature. You know, in the General Assembly, we have uh, Republicans swept all of the, the state races, the statewide races, you know, the ones that don't result in uh, accusations of gerrymandering because of districts. So we're in the Midwest, in the heart of America. We're not an extremist, leftist, pro-abort state like New York or, you know, Massachusetts, or on the other side, you know, in California, or in Oregon, or in Washington. We're in the heartland. We're where life is supposed to be protected. How the war in the world can we possibly end up with the most radical pro-abortion uh, um, constitutional amendment in the country, here in the middle of, 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 of red America? Well, this is their new national strategy, Bob. What they're doing is, is, is they're trying to buy their way. They're trying to take all the blood money, all the out-of-state, all the Soros kind of money, and, and inject abortion until birth in the state constitution. They're not just aiming at Ohio. They've got 18 other states that are in their crosshairs, and Florida is going to be next next year. And I'm telling you, this is, I believe, the most dangerous threat in America. It is the most lethal amendment that has ever been on the ballot in Ohio history. Um, in fact, I've got commercials that explain the nightmare uh, at F2A.org or Faith, the number two, action.org. Um, but you can, you can look at them. There's an abortion nightmare. There's a transgender nightmare. And on my desk right now, I'm, I am editing the commercial for the, the tra- child trafficking nightmare. Let me, let me read you part of this script, because we all know abortion until birth is in Ohio's. That this would put it in Ohio's Constitution. But most don't realize this would legalize pedophilia. That's child adult sex and child sex trafficking. Um, because the word individual, you know what, woman is not in this amendment, doesn't appear in the amendment anywhere. They deliberately use the word individual, which includes a child of any age to have sex, even with an adult. Hey, then it goes so far as to grant immunity to that adult who, quote, assist them in exercising that right. So if someone can, can coerce a child to have sex with them, there is nothing the parents can do. There's nothing the states can do. There's nothing the county or the cities can do because this grants uh, this this will trump every state law, every city ordinance in the state of Ohio, and there is no legal recourse. We've got to say no to the nightmare because if we don't, it will be uh, it will be almost it, it will be very very difficult, if not impossible, to overturn this. You can't just go down the legislature and through your elected officials pass another law. The law is trumped by this amendment. And they are using their blood money to buy it and to deceive people, um, to saying this is really about health care, it's about maternity, it's about miscarriages. No, it's about abortion till birth, it's about child mutilation without parental notice or consent, and yes, it would legalize child sex trafficking. If you saw that movie, Sound of Freedom, well, you better gather, gather now and use your voice to be the Sound of Freedom to vote down this nightmare and tell everyone in the state of Ohio that we need to say no to the nightmare that is the... It's not, it's not California. It's not just turning Ohio into California. It's turning Ohio into North Korea. It is, it is the most rabid. It's worse than what they did in Michigan. It's worse than, than anything we've seen so far, and it is the model that they are looking to see put across this country if we don't stop them. 
And I'm just going to tell you, uh, as someone who's, who's been involved in planting a lot of the seeds in this state for life, for righteousness, I'm going to tell you that, that we need God to rain down, to, to remove the deception off the people's eyes, and, to, and to, to bring up those seeds of life that have been planted in this state for the last 50 years and to bring, uh, uh, to bring about an uproar to, 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 for the church to rise up. And that's one of the keys, Bob, is if the church speaks up, we win. And what we've done at Faith to Action is we've got a legal memo that was drawn up by Liberty Council that says to pastors, hey, guess what? You not only have a, a right, you have a responsibility to speak against Issue 1, and if anybody gives you any grief about it, Liberty Council will defend you, Pastor. This is not the moment to be silent. Not to speak is to speak, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Not to, not to act is to act. That silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And I'm going to tell you something. Right now, it's being decided whether you are a sheep church or whether you are a goat church, whether you're going to side with God or whether you're going to let fear be your God and let your comfort zone be your prison, because that is is where we are right now, and everything, everything is on the line. Yeah, um, that's uh, very sad, uh, very well said, very uh, passionate as well. So just to let people know, there's um, a couple of ads that you can watch. Um, I can't really play them on the radio. It, it wouldn't do a ton of good because you need to see the the acting to really understand the nightmares. Uh, so we'll send people to the uh, website, Faith to Action website, which is the letter F for faith, the number 2, and then the letter A for action, F2A.org. And you can see these ads. I'm looking at. I looked at, uh, at them before the uh, uh, segment began here. An abortion nightmare ad, and then there's the trans nightmare ad, which of course uh, has been banned by YouTube because they don't like having facts presented to them that uh, get in the way of their agenda. But Janet, uh, in addition to all of that, I want to go back to the heartbeat bill because which became heartbeat law, and now has been there's an injunction. So I'm online on Twitter, and I'm arguing with a lot of the people supporting issue one and this constitutional amendment, and they're telling us that the heartbeat law is a lie, that the heart does not be, uh, become formed and start to beat at six weeks, the way they say. Uh, you know, first of all, they complain that most women don't know they're pregnant by the time six weeks rolls by. And what about rape victims? And my answer, tell me if I'm being overly simplistic here, Janet, in your opinion. My answer is, if you have unprotected sex... Or, God forbid, you are raped, I would hope that sometime in the next month and a half you pee on a stick and take a pregnancy test to find out. If you are hell-bent on making sure you do not have a child and you have had uh, an occasion to become possibly impregnated by the action of procreation, which is what sex is, you have six weeks to go pee on a stick and find out if you're pregnant. If you are, you can, you can, you can do that under the, the heartbeat law before that heartbeat is formed. Their argument still becomes, Janet, that's not a heart. Uh, science has clarified that. That's a flutter of cells or that's something like that. That's, and that's, a, well, that's the reason I'm asking you, because I know, you, I know you're going to want to hit that. Go ahead. Yeah, we brought in the youngest who ever testified, not only in the Ohio legislature, but also in Congress. We had a nine-week-old baby, uh, uh, unborn baby, that, uh, that was there in the, in the committee hearing where we put the ultrasound directly there and let the entire committee hear and see that child's beating heart. To deny a heartbeat is to deny science. To ignore it is heartless. And let me just tell you about the rape and incest uh, issue. Mm. You know, people say, well, that woman may not know if she's, if, if she's pregnant by, by the time that baby's heart is beating. Well, she knows if she's been raped. And what is best for a woman who's been raped is to go and be treated immediately. The idea is to prevent the conception from happening. 
But what happens when a woman who's treated directly following a rape is that not only they collect the forensic evidence to go after the rapist to protect other women from being assaulted, but they can also treat her for sexually transmitted disease and for trauma, but they can prevent the conception from happening. That's, that's the key. And so what we're looking at is you can still have an abortion if you're, if you're raped, if you're a victim of incest or any other reason prior to detectable heartbeat. But keep in mind, Bob, that, that this heartbeat law isn't even in effect right now. It's before the Ohio Supreme Court. We hope, in fact, that it will be upheld, as uh, the Georgia Supreme Court just ruled yesterday uh, or day before, um, that we're, we're seeing, you know, 15 states have passed heartbeat laws. And so, so it's a great thing. It's a scientific thing. It's, it's, um, it's something that is, is, is it's the compromise that people are talking about. You know, we want to protect them from conception. They want to kill them till birth and partial birth, beyond birth, right? But, but everybody, it seems to me we could agree that, that if you've got a fellow human being with a beating mm-hmm. heart mm-hmm. sending out an SOS signal for help, that we can, at least, we can at least agree on protecting that fellow human being whose heart is beating. But all of that aside, issue one goes back to one of the first laws I worked to pass, that partial birth abortion. We passed the nation's first one. Thirty states followed us. Two Supreme Court rulings uh, uh, happened before we finally saw a victory. But I'm going to tell you that if we lose, if issue one were to pass, God forbid, partial birth abortion would come back to Ohio. And you think it doesn't happen? It happened in Kettering, just outside of Dayton, Ohio, and they're going to set up shop again. I'm telling you, this is the worst. It is the most rabid and lethal amendment in Ohio history. And if we don't do everything we can to say no to this nightmare, we're going to forever wish we had. Well, and the worst part about that, too, and I think you addressed it somewhat when I laid out the whole Ohio being in red, uh, you know, middle America and the heartland. Um, if it, If we fall... If this state falls to the most extreme, as you just described it, uh, legislation or in this case, constitutional amendment or ballot initiative in the history of the state, um, we're the first domino in a lot of other dominoes. Because we know, again, these things are already going on and they're not even as extreme as this one is in those, in those very deep blue pro-choice states. But if, if, if Red Ohio can fall like this, this is going to have a very, very um, dramatic effect on states around the country, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you if we can, st- exactly right, and if we can stop this domino from falling, they've got 18 states queued up to go next. Ohio is their lethal model. If they can eject this in a state that has passed pro-life laws from parental consent to partial birth abortion to the heartbeat, whatever it may be, the, if they can wipe that out in one fell swoop, you, you, you can rest assured they're doing it elsewhere. And so if we can stop it in Ohio, we can then show it can be done. Because you want to know something, they've, they've, they've won everywhere they've done this, Bob. They did it in, in Michigan, in California, Vermont, they did it in Kansas. And what we want to do is, is stand up to this giant. And I'm going to tell you, as someone who has, has, when we started out, I'll just tell you one thing. When we started out with the heartbeat bill, when we started out with the partial birth abortion, I'm going to tell you, to my face, I was told it was impossible. They said it couldn't be done. We had to fight the establishment, even the pro-life community. But I'm going to tell you something. Once you've seen Goliath fall, there's nobody that can tell you it can't be done. And I'm going to tell you that God is famous for working through remnants. 
And if the people who are listening right now, within the sound of my voice, were to rise up and to gather in your churches, to gather in your in your uh, uh, your GOP meetings, get with the Republican parties and others that will stand up and say no to this nightmare, tell everyone you know. I'll have a third ad up on that Faith to Action website that you're going to want to share with people around the country to post on Facebook until we're blocked. But I'm going to say that, that if we can do that, we can see this giant fall as well. And when that happens, it's going to send a message of hope to America and all those who care about life. Because um, because if Ohio can stop it, then there's hope for the rest of the country. You've heard it. I've, been, I've heard it since I've grown up, since I was a kid. We heard, as Ohio goes, so goes the nation. There it is. So even if you're, if people outside the state are listening, I want to say that, that it's not just about Ohio. It's about America. And uh, this will, this will save. If we vote no, if we defeat this giant, we will save a stadium full of children, of babies who would otherwise be aborted every single year. That's a stadium. Almost 20,000 lives are on the line every year in this state. There's never been a more important issue. There's never been a more uh, uh, important vote that you can cast than to make sure by November 7th you vote no to the nightmare of issue one. And while you're there, vote no to issue two because uh, we don't need um, uh, uh, we don't need marijuana to be the next the next big thing. That instead of drunk driving, we've got people who are high driving, and that's that's not what Ohio wants. Yeah, I'm glad you hit that too. I was I saw a tweet yesterday from the ACLU Ohio. Vote yes on one. Vote yes on two. And somebody phrased it the best I've heard it, and I reused it. And uh, and I'm trying to give attribution to it. And that is, in other words, your platform is kill your baby, then get high so you can dull the pain. That, that, yes, that, that's, yes. that's pretty much what their message is. Kill your baby. But and you know what? It goes, be, it goes beyond that, Bob. It's, it's, kill your chill, it's kill your baby, maim your child, and then traffic whoever may, makes it out alive. There you that's, go. That's what this thing is. It is strict. All without realizing how bad, yeah, all without realizing how bad of a thing you've done because you're baked. Uh, which is, which yeah. is the next part of that. So, Janet yeah, Folger right. Porter uh, uh, with uh, Faith to Action. Again, that website is the letter F, the number two, the letter A, F2A.org. Do what I just one did. I shared, uh, hold on a second, uh, I shared uh, one of those videos, one of the um, uh, Just Say No ads, to, uh, No to the Nightmare ads on my Twitter feed. I'm going to share some more a little bit as the day goes on. Please take a look at those videos. There's some images, some pictures. Share them on your social media. Put them in emails to your groups and your friends, and let everybody know how extraordinarily dangerous this amendment really is. Last word, Janet. And you can do, you do one more thing. If you can, if you can help us financially, a $40 donation will reach 1,000 voters directly to their phones. That's the thing we need to do next. $40 reaches 1,000 voters who are registered in the state of Ohio, and that's, uh, that's I think, the best bang for the buck you can get. Every dollar goes to the ads, goes to the sending a text message to the voters with these ads, um, and uh, none of it goes to overhead or salary. It's all going in to this effort because it's, it's, it's all hands on deck. It's everything we can do to stop and to say no to this nightmare by November 7th. Very well said. Thank you for, uh, for your leadership on this. Thank you for fighting, and we appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God Thank bless you. you. That's Jana Folger-Porter joining us. We'll take a time out now. Um, I want to send you to the website like she just did, and if you can make a donation, that's great too, but share those videos, their rumble videos, and their um, uh, some uh, screenshot uh, uh, memes, if you will, that tell the truth about what Issue 1 does in Ohio. Share those on your social media if you can. They're available at F2A.org, F2A.org. Okay, top of the hour news is coming up. After that... 
hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, third and final hour of this uh, Free Fall Friday broadcast is underway now. Appreciate you being with us. It's nine minutes after 11 o'clock. It's the 27th morning of the 10th month, year of our Lord, 2023. These last 45 minutes are going to be yours uh, for free-for-all phone calls, anything you want to talk about. I do have a couple of points I do want to make, though. Um, as the um, Israel uh, situation rages on, um, we have to start looking at the homeland and figure out what we are going to accept here and what we are going to not accept with respect to security and protection and safety. It should be pointed out that we have traitors living in our midst. We have literal traitors to country, to God and country here, when we have members of our people's House of Representatives, like Rashida Sharia Tlaib, refusing to condemn terrorists that attack innocent men, women, and children. You know what I'm talking about, right? I've played for you many different things that she has said and done since October 7th. Well, this is the latest. A reporter approaches her in the hallways of Congress, outside of her office, asks her a very simple question. She, of course, is very, very uh, passionate in her support of uh, Palestinians and her condemnation of Israel. But what about when Palestinians like Hamas commit terror attacks, murders, and rapes, and tortures of innocent people. You would at least condemn that, right, Sharia Tlaib? Will you denounce Hamas? Will you denounce Hamas? Why do you support terrorists? You're dehumanizing Palestinians. No, you're you're supporting terrorists. No, you're supporting terrorists. You're supporting terrorists. Simple question. Will you denounce Hamas? Nobody said you have to denounce Palestinians. No one said you have to support Israeli airstrikes or ground forces in Gaza, you can continue to say you want a ceasefire. But here's a simple question. Do you support Hamas, a terror group? She won't answer it. She won't answer it. She could say, of course I don't support Hamas, but I do support a ceasefire. We have to stop this. Nope. She will not say she denounces Hamas. Will you denounce Hamas? Will you denounce Hamas? Why do you support terrorists? You're dehumanizing Palestinians. No. The only thing she would say is you're dehumanizing Palestinians. He didn't say squat about Palestinians. He said, do you denounce Hamas? Will you <clears throat> denounce Hamas? She won't do it. Why? Because she is 
the literal definition of a terrorist sympathizer. She sympathizes with and supports terrorists. So what do we do? As noted a few minutes ago, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida has instructed all Florida universities to suspend and disband pro-Hamas student groups. So any of the MSAs, which is the Muslim Student uh, Student Associations, uh, on campuses, if they are pro-Hamas, they are done. They're disbanded. They're broken up. That's a start. The next step has to be deporting these individuals if they are here on student visas from the United States. It's time to cleanse the home of radicals and would-be terrorists. I said this earlier in the program. I'll say it again if you missed it. There's a very, very fine line, at least by my estimation and analysis, between terrorist sympathizer and terrorist. If you sympathize with terrorists, that means you support terrorists. If you support terrorists, that means you are willing to become a terrorist. Sharia Tlaib is a terrorist sympathizer. So are all of those students beating Jewish kids, Ranting and screaming in pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas rallies. um, Calling for the Intifada. Calling for the elimination of Israel. Calling for free Palestine from the river to the sea. The entire nine yards, if you will. So, what do we do with them? In addition to disbanding their little groups on campuses, here is a modest suggestion from our friend Professor Jason D. Hill from DePaul University. We are in the midst, he writes, of a civilizational crisis. It is time to close ranks and revert to type. That is, revert to to being patriotic Americans. The right to demean and belittle the United States is not the first right granted to foreign nationals when they are graciously allowed on American soil. Given the war on the West and the attacks on American civilization on so many fronts, I would recommend that each foreign national student be thoroughly vetted for any anti-American sentiments before entrance into our universities. They must sign a loyalty oath mandating them to defend, if called upon to do so, the reputation of the United States, which has granted them refuge and education and a chance to make something of their lives, which most of them were denied in their home countries. And let us not forget one thing. Immigration is not a right It is a privilege. If we made naturalized citizenship conditional by literally requiring aspiring citizens to sign a pledge of allegiance and something on the order of a non-disclosure clause which prohibits them from making not legitimate and rational criticisms of the state but rather hateful invectives against our republic, we might see a reduction in the proclivities for defamation and destruction among many naturalized immigrants from certain groups who use and abuse this country, who become Americans or permanent residents for reasons of political and economic expediency, such as the 9-11 terrorists. The time has come for great purges, because in a civilizational war, when the enemies pronounce themselves in the open and act with impunity, we must act in the spirit of self-preservation and exercise justice. Why should Americans live in fear of foreign nationals, supercilious young people, many of whom can barely write a term paper, but who want to dictate the terms of our domestic and foreign policy? By what right? I'll stop there. That's the the meat of a very important article by Professor Hill on Front Page. You should read it at Front Page Mag. I'll tweet it, as a matter of fact, and I'll put it on my Facebook page, Twitter, 
It's uh, always, excuse me, it's France Rants on Twitter or X, and then on uh, Truth Social and on Facebook and on Rumble, it's Always Right Radio. Find me there. All right, we're going to go to uh, Stephen Collinwood, who's been waiting patiently on line six. Steve, thank you for that patience. Go right ahead, sir. Yes, I thought I'd help you out on on why the uh, Jewish community mostly uh, votes Democrat. Okay. Okay, so we're small people, you know, not large in numbers. <laughs> so we either, we have like an extreme with us. We either produce incredibly brilliant people like Einstein, so we create Einsteins, <laughs> or we uh, uh, create incredibly stupid people like the liberals and the leftists whose kids are marching with the checkered uh, kerchiefs and, and screaming for Palestine. And that's just the way it is with us. So, so I mean, okay, go ahead. You had more? I mean, I mean, it's infected not only uh, the Jewish community here, but uh, in the left is infected in Israel, too, because just, just prior to the invasion, if you were a Hamas member and you had worked, let's say, in the communities in Israel and you collected uh, intelligence and whatever, uh, and then you got laid off because it was seasonal work, you could sit in Gaza City and, and collect an unemployment check. The Israelis would send you, the, the Jews there would send you an unemployment check while you planned the massacre in the last two years. Wow. So. It, you know that it's just like I said. It's either Einstein's or, or, or total idiots. Yeah, That's just the way it is. And, uh, and unfortunately, and and you know, I I I don't want to cast aspersions, and I don't want to call anybody total idiots, but but unfortunately, it would appear that it's more of the latter because they they refuse to, as I talked to Beverly and Mike earlier about. They refuse to adjust to changing circumstances on the ground. New information should lead to new opinions. New information should lead to new evaluations. And guess what? Information is out there now that this party, the party that they used to support and that they felt supported them is no more. And they need to uh, readjust their thinking into what is the, what is best for them, what is best for uh, the state of Israel, what's best for the United States of America, not necessarily in that order. Yes, it's time immemorial, because when when God let, let us out of Sinai, it only took one generation. They saw miracles before their eyes, but it only took one generation, once they got away from that, to start loathing, oh, we wish we could go back to the flesh pots of Egypt, at least there was employment, and, you know, yeah. so it's just, that's just the way it is. All right, great, great, so, uh, anyways, great information bl- there. Thank you, Have Steve. a blessed weekend. And you do the same. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Appreciate it. Uh, Yanina is next. Yanina, go ahead. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Okay, I, I just thought, first of all, we already voted. We already made early vote. Issue one and issue two, both of them know, and we took care of that. Next thing, obviously, my daughter lives in New York, and she is always very active with all these pro, uh, uh, pro-Israel, you know, rally and everything else. Mm-hmm. But another thing I would like to let you know, there is an organization called JexitUSA.org. It's a new organization. It's helping liberal Jewish people stay away from Democrats. So, like I said, you know, if you have a W. Can you, can you give, it, give it to me again, Yanina? What's the website? Okay. J. I'm giving you with a letter. J E X I T. Jexit. Jexit. Oh, got it. Got it. JexitUSA.org. Yes. Reporting and trying to make sure that liberal Jews will get out of the get out of the Democratic Party and become, you know, more Republican. 
Also, somebody mentions that you have an email, uh, Williams at asylumcleveland.com. Uh-huh. Maybe you, yeah, those people that, that meet, you know, somebody. Also, I have a huge college, John Carroll University. If anybody could talk to them and see if they, well, see, the problem is those colleges who get money from the government usually follow government policy. That's true. Yeah, and there are very and almost all colleges do. Very few, like Hillsdale College, where my daughter graduated it's from. They they don't take any federal funds whatsoever. If you take federal funds, you have to adhere to a lot of government policies, federal policies that you may not agree with. It's always <coughs> it's always Hillside college, you know, liberal you know, college with um um very good person in charge. Hillsdale College, the best college. It's not going to be listened to the government. You know what I mean? I do. I do know what you mean. Listen, I have, and thank you, Yanita, for the call. I have the website up right now. I'm looking at it, and it's wonderful. Uh, it's a great idea. And I would suggest, by the way, in addition to helping Jewish Americans get away from Democrats, they should get away from Democrat cities. You know where more Jews, uh, the, the the larger congregations of Jews in very uh, various uh, American big cities are the ones where they are hit the hardest by anti-Semitism. And I don't want to say they don't realize, that's kind of like when I was talking to Steve, uh, I don't want to say they don't realize that that would indicate that they're not smart enough to figure it out. But for whatever reason, it's happening and they're not leaving, and they should be. In the same way that, you know, uh, a, a lot of other individuals who are kind of becoming red-pilled to a certain extent and are leaving the blue states and the leaving the blue cities and trying to go to places like Texas and Tennessee and more red states and so forth, Unfortunately, too many of them bring their bad ideas with them and then try to convert that state into the same thing they just left. It's kind of like a lot of the migrants who come here from, you know, third world, what did Trump call them, blank hole countries, you know, they come to the United States and they try to bring the same thing with them, waving the flag of the country that they just escaped from, trying to make it worse here. But point being, I think a lot of the Jews in America who continue to suffer from anti-Semitism in the blue states would do well, well, would be well advised to leave the blue states as well as leaving the Democrat Party, because they are simply not looking out for their best interests. That's just the way it is. We'll go to line one, Mike in Cleveland. Hi, Mike. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good, sir. A question and a compliment. Mm-hmm. The first thing, just before I tell my family and friends this, that lady, your previous guest before the top of the hour, said that issue one would permit pedophilia if passed. Yes. Okay. I just I, That's what I thought she said, but I want to confirm it. And secondly, Bob, I thank God when I go to church on Mass on Sundays and sometimes during the week that we have a strong voice like you that is brave enough to tell the truth all the time. And God bless you, and thank you so oh, much. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say, and I, I feel blessed to be able to reach people with a with a spot like this, to have a microphone and a transmitter, and 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 people willing to uh, you know people willing to uh, to to listen to the message that I share, and then share them with others. I think that is uh, that is God's blessing as well. So, uh, thanks so much for that. Thank thank you, Mike. Um, I I I was um, I live in a somewhat closed neighborhood. Not a private one. Like I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm a middle class guy. I don't have a gated community type thing. But it's what I mean is, there's like a cul-de-sac and then another kind of a dead end area. So you have to go into our neighborhood to and come out the same way, if that makes sense. 
so it's not a very heavily trafficked one, and that's probably why not too many people put political signs in our neighborhood, because it's, it's not like a passing road where you go by and people would see them. I think I'm the only one that has a sign one way or the other in their yard, and I have a vote no one issue one sign in my front yard. And um, I go on walks, particularly a lot more, <laughs> excuse me, recently as I've been trying to get on this health kick, but I'm doing a ton of walking and uh, also dog sitting this week, uh, this past week, so I'm walking the dog a lot in the neighborhood. And I'm walking by people who may, some who may know who I am and some who don't. Again, meaning as a public figure. That's not meant to sound um, in any way um, egotistical. It's who I am, meaning I'm known publicly by some. But they do recognize me as the guy who lives in that house with the, uh, with the yard sign. And I can tell you that even in my smaller community where it's a closed neighborhood area, I walk, when I'm walking the dog and when I'm walking, I have people saying, you got two no, no, uh, two no votes here, too. Literally, I have had that happen on, on two different occasions in the last two days. One from another couple that was walking themselves, and then another one from a neighbor who was outside in the front yard. And they said, you got no votes here, too. It makes me feel good. That means either... They're listening to my show, and they know who I am from that standpoint, and they know what I advocate for, or they just noticed the sign, and it took them, or it had enough of an impact on them to look it up and see what issue one was all about. And once they found out, they said they're voting no. I feel good about that. I feel good about the ability to share the messages that I think are most important to us, to our community, to our children, to our society, and that's why I take this show very seriously. I mean, yeah, we'll clown a little bit from time to time, but I take it very seriously because it's very serious stuff. So thank you, Mike, for those very kind words. Uh, it, 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 it helps me keep going. Uh, line four is, uh, or I'm sorry, three is Charlie. Charlie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hey, thanks, Bob, for taking the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want, just want to thank you for having Janet Parshall out. She really knows the issue one, more, probably better than anyone else. About a year ago, my group gave her an award for the, called the Patrick Henry Freedom Award. And that was probably the proudest day in, in recent time because she really did champion the heartbeat bill. She's really the person to have on, and she's she's such a, a champion for this. But what I wanted to say, I, I go out and I wave on the freeways. I wave on the, on the highways with this issue one we've been waving. And I've been doing this for years and years for, with other issues. But this time, it's palpable, the anger. I've never gotten so many fingers and yells at me, and it's kind of disgusting. They're so angry. The pro-yes people, the pro-death people are so angry that we're trying to save lives, and it's just ridiculous, and I've never seen it. It's just so, and one lady rolled down her window and said, I'm going to get an abortion right now. It's just pure anger, and I'm just, you know, I'm just purple for our state. This is their chance to to to, to overturn the Roe Ro versus Wade, so they're taking it, and it's really scary because it's it's a backfire for us. Well, there, there's a lot of anger that you just described. Somebody rolling down their window, but it's not anger that's driving them to say those things to you. In my opinion, my friend, and thank you for the call, Charlie. It's evil. It's just straight up evil. These are people who have evil in their hearts. They do not believe that all life is precious. They do believe that some lives are worth sacrificing. In the interest of convenience. And they're willing to tell lies. They're willing to believe lies and then, and then to tell them and to share them uh, to convince others to, to act on that very same evil. I can't say it any more clearly. I believe it to be evil at its core. 
And to lie and tell women that, by the way, if issue one doesn't pass, you can't get treated for a miscarriage, you can't get treated for an ectopic pregnancy, women's care will disappear if issue one doesn't pass, that is God, or excuse me, that is Satan flying middle fingers in the face of God. I mean that. Those kinds of lies are evil in origin. They are literally satanic, and they fly in the face of those who who believe in God and his mercy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So, um, earlier on, I think it was right in the top of the second hour in that neighborhood I took a call from Rachel and she said she's Jewish and she converted from Democrat to Republican for many of the reasons we discussed with Beverly and Mike Goldstein this morning in hour number one and and uh, talked about why more don't and talked about some of those issues it was really phenomenal part of the conversation she said uh, she said she knows secular Jews who have been completely opposed to guns and the Second Amendment because they're secular and they have more leftist leanings and more, you know, Democrat beliefs sort of thing. She said, but now they're arming themselves. And I said, why? And she said, because they're Jews. And they recognize that they are targets. So despite their refusal to actually be, you know, practicing faithful Religious Jews, they're secular secular Jews, and they typically side with leftist causes. They recognize that one leftist cause, which is an opposition to uh, guns and the Second Amendment, could put them in danger. They need to be able to protect themselves. And it reminded me of part of the interview that I did on my new TV show, which you can watch on True Blue TV, which is on Roku Channel 529, with Dr. Naomi Wolf. Dr. Wolf, a noted well-known liberal feminist has always been opposed to guns as well. She's not anymore. This is this is part of that interview. She told me. Now, you mentioned the Jews who were uh, not allowed to be armed. They were not allowed to be, uh, you know, to, to to fight and so forth. Um, after what happened on October seventh, um, as I read, the Jew, the uh, uh, Israeli government lifted all of their gun control sanctions. They want every Jew armed because obviously they never know, which is which is understandable. And you referenced a short while ago our Second Amendment uh, here. And if I heard you right, it sounded like you were saying that's why we have to have a Second Amendment so that we can protect ourselves against something similar. Are you pro Second Amendment? I, I am now. I can't believe I'm saying these words, but I am now very much. So. What, what changed you? Good question. Well, after I was canceled, I it, the the only people who would talk to me were conservatives and libertarians, and as a result, I found out that the stereotype that I was spoon-fed about the rest of America was completely wrong, and that in, instead of, you know, a, a red state reality of, like, troglodyte misogynists and homophobes, you know, I was talking to a lot of very thoughtful, very decent people. Um, it, and, and in the course of that, I started to ask myself, well, could a lot of other things I assumed were true be wrong? And then I examined, and this is this the content of Facing the Beast, I examined, like, you could say 
part of the beast is my own um, willingness to stereotype other people, my own belief in lies, right? Um, I, I, you know, I had to take another look at 9-11. I had to take another look at abortion rights. I had to take another look at, um, you know, immigration and the nation state. Uh, but I think that in the last three years, it's become clear that we're under attack. I'm persuaded of that. My own original research found that Pfizer injection is manufactured by China at CCP. I'm very much influenced um, by my husband, who I may have mentioned spent most of his career in military intelligence and in the intelligence community. And he's he and his thoughtful colleagues have persuaded me that, and it's just seeing what's happening around us, the bioweapon of the injection, which I go into a great detail um, with this project of 3,000 experts I'm working on the Pfizer documents, um, the, you know, attack on our food supply, the attack on our water, the buying up of our ports, uh, the, you know, things exploding on our infrastructure, which never used to happen. Um, this is all not even precursors to war. This is war. It's just called um, unrestricted warfare. And this is something I learned from Brian and his colleagues. And I guess where this bring, comes to the Second Amendment is I've looked at Australia and Canada and how quickly they fell from robust democracies to really feudal vassal states where people are afraid to speak even, um, let alone protest, let alone, you know, petition their government for redress of grievances. They turned in their guns. Um, in Australia, they, they turned in their guns in New Zealand. They turned in their guns in Germany before the Nazis came to power, you know. And I, I'm now fully persuaded that the open border is a pre-something bad situation and that we have to defend we'll, we'll have to defend our homes and even if we don't have to defend our homes against a stealth army that has come in over the border we may have to defend our homes just from the lawlessness and chaos that i've seen in other countries in conflict areas when the rule of law has collapsed and we've got you know a host a, a hostage administration my view it not hostage a, a bought and paid for administration so there really is no rule of law and from studying history, I know how quickly a fragile democracy can go to complete collapse of the rule of law, militias, um, you know, roving bands of gangs, you know, like it, it, they all kind of blend into each other at that point. And, you know, my husband's armed and I'm glad. And he taught me to shoot. He's teaching me to shoot. And I do think that if America will survive, it's literally because of the Second Amendment and people make it hard for um, for the country to be taken over because there will be firearms in people's homes. If America will survive, it will be because we have a Second Amendment. My husband is teaching me to shoot. My husband is armed, and I'm so glad he is. This is Dr. Naomi Wolf, liberal anti-gun activist and Jew, by the way, um, who has seen the light. You want to protect yourself. And this is important, especially after what just happened in Maine. You want to protect yourself, whether it's for reasons of anti-Semitism, as we we're discussing, and she was discussing there, or any other reason. You embrace the Second Amendment. You defend the Second Amendment. We're going to go to um, Leslie calling us from Bay. Leslie, welcome to uh, Always Right Radio. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Um, this is a reference back to the interview of the Congresswoman who refused to denounce terrorism or Hamas. And my, my comment is I'm so sick of people saying, do you denounce terrorism? Because I think it's become a generic question, such as are you a racist? Racism and racist, because everything's racist, not, it's lost its 
impact, I think the better question would be, do you support atrocities? Do you support war crimes? Do you support civilians being used as human shields? Be specific, because it's, just, it's becoming part of, you know, a genericizing of the language, and I don't like it. I think you're right, um, but I would say that she was cornered by specific questions previous to this, and she refused to answer those, too. And the specific questions were, do you support the chopping off of babies' heads? This was right ah, after October seventh, okay. and they followed her around down the hallway in uh, in the in the Capitol uh, office buildings where they are allowed to be talking about reporters. And she refused to answer that question seven different times. Do you support beheading babies? Do you condemn the beheading of babies? Do you do you condemn decapitation, she, uh, burning babies alive? All the specifics that were done there, she couldn't even turn and say, "No, I don't support that," or "Yes, of course I condemn that." She refused to answer in the same way she did. When she was asked, why do you support Hamas or do you denounce Hamas, she refused to do it. Well, I'm glad to hear that someone was specific with her because in replaying this, it's out to the general public then that hears it. It's much more effective. You're right. You're right. Hamas or terrorism, it just becomes. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.